All right, so we'll make a left up here onto Route 107. Okay, got it. And that should put us right in the middle of downtown Gilmanton, New Hampshire. This is a small town in central New Hampshire. Yep. There's not much here. No, no, just a few buildings. There's the Gilmanton Academy building over on our right, which means our destination is coming up right over there on our left. You can pull over wherever you can park on the side. Yeah, there's just a few buildings around here in downtown Gilmanton, and they're all painted white. Yeah. There's the town offices, the Gilmanton Academy, there's a church over there. And right across the street from that church is our destination, that White House. Okay. It's a two and a half story White House. Yep. Looks like a big addition has been added onto the back of it. I can see a small sign on the front that reads, built in 1825. Oh, so this house is almost two centuries old now. Is it haunted? Sort of. Ray, we've come to Gilmanton, New Hampshire to see the birthplace of America's first and possibly most prolific serial killer, H.H. Holmes. Hello, I'm Jeff Belanger. And I'm Ray Ozier. Welcome to episode 317 of the New England Legends podcast. Thanks for joining us as we chronicle every legend in New England one story at a time. From true crime to ghosts, monsters, UFOs, roadside oddities, eccentrics, and the just plain weird. And if you want even more weirdness, be sure to head over to our website to see clips from the New England Legends television series that you can watch right now on Amazon Prime. We'll explore the birthplace of H.H. Holmes right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on, and if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. 
Okay, Jeff. Now, when I think of H.H. H. Holmes, I think of Chicago. Right. The devil in the white city. Yeah, that's the guy. He's most infamous for constructing the murder castle mm. for the Chicago World Fair way back in 1893. Now, his hotel had secret doors and passageways around the building so he could enter people's rooms at night, kill them, and slip the bodies out unnoticed. Wow. He initially confessed to 27 murders before his execution, but others later said it could have been as many as 200 before he was hanged for murder in a Pennsylvania prison, May 7th, 1896, and then buried in a Philadelphia cemetery. All right, so we're talking a lot of people. He killed a lot for sure. And just like every other person on earth, his story has a beginning. And the beginning for H.H. Holmes was right inside this house in Gilmanton, New Hampshire. Now, we don't know a ton about the early life of H.H. Holmes, other than it seems somewhat normal. Given how complex this story is, we're going to do things a little differently in this episode, and we're going to bring in some help. My name is Jeff Mudgett. I'm the author of Bloodstains and the co-host of History Channel's American Ripper. Oh, I remember that show. Yeah. Jeff Mudgett was trying to show that H.H. H. Holmes may have also been the infamous Jack the Ripper in London. Yeah, that's the guy. So at this point, we should also tell you that H.H. H. Holmes was not born with that name. And our guest on this episode has a special connection. I'm the great-great-grandson of Herman Webster Mudgett, better known as Dr. H.H. H. Holmes, America's first serial killer. Wow, this is going to be exciting. I agree. I'm very excited for this one. So Jeff Mudgett was a criminal attorney who became obsessed with learning all he could about his infamous relative. He's been researching H.H. H. Holmes for the last 15 years. All right, I have so many questions. Jeff, did you ever get the chance to actually go inside the house here in Gilmanton? Yes, I did. When you uh, visit certain places that have to do with the, uh, the subject matter you're dealing with, mine, obviously, my great-great-grandfather, there are some places you go into and you feel nothing. Nothing whatsoever. And there are some places that hit you right between the eyes. When I walked in that front door, it was right between the eyes. And the uh, people living there now were very friendly, very open to my being there, even when they knew who I was, and took me right upstairs to the bedroom he lived in and grew up in, uh, sleeping at night. And when we got upstairs, oh... I'm not big on the paranormal ghost spirit world, but I was that day. I definitely had a presence around me trying to, you know, fit in everything that was and very remarkably felt very 19th century upstairs. Oh, we understand time travel in places like these. Believe me. <laughs> yeah, we do. So as far as the childhood of Herman Mudgett here in New Hampshire, we don't know a whole lot. We know he attended the church right across the street. He taught elementary school for a little bit. Uh, there was rumors about him murdering when he was young and living here in town, but there's really no facts to back that up. I mean, no evidence, no body, nothing. So that could just be people adding to his story years after the fact. He was an intelligent kid, did really well in school, but realized he wanted more from his life, much more. On July 4th, 1878, Herman Mudgett married a girl from nearby Alton, New Hampshire. My great-great-grandmother was, was Clara, who was his first wife. But strangely enough, he never divorced her besides marrying many times thereafter. But that's, you kind of get the idea of what we're dealing with, just with that right there. And, and the woman, my father actually met Clara. 
Um, I never did. But uh, who stayed in love with Holmes even after his national murder trial and the so-called execution and burial with every major newspaper in the country they're attending. She stayed right there, full in love. So H.H. Holmes never divorced Clara Lovering. The couple only had one child, a boy named Robert, which would have been Jeff Mudgett's great-grandfather. Holmes would also marry Murda Belknap in 1886, Minnie Williams in 1893, and Georgina Yoke in 1894. So this is a guy who was never really honest about much of anything. (laughs) So after Clara and Herman had their child, Mudgett headed out to the Great Lakes region to chase his bigger dreams. So decided he wanted to be a doctor and actually went to the University of Michigan Medical School. That medical school part was where he knew he needed to go to become, and I believe this for a long time, maybe the most knowledgeable man that ever lived regarding forensic sciences and the ability to eliminate all evidence of murder after it had occurred. And he was the best. He paid for his medical school working at a cemetery with the caretaker preparing bodies, you know, as, as, a, as a young man. That's what he, that's how he paid for his school. With deep medical expertise, a perfect storm of murder was brewing. So when did Herman Mudgett become H.H. Holmes? Oh, he had at least 41 different aliases. That Holmes thing and its relationship to Sherlock Holmes fascinated him, and he took a hankering to it. He liked it. It figures a man out to fool every detective in the country would be obsessed with the most famous literary detective ever. So Dr. H.H. Holmes soon began running a murderous and profitable M.O., He would find some mark and say, hey, we can run this scam on life insurance companies. You take out a big policy on yourself, and I'll find a body that we can claim is you. The insurance company will find the body, know you're dead, and pay out the insurance claim to me. We split the money, and you can disappear and start a new life. Now, Holmes would often kill the actual mark, which was just easier for him. Then there really is a body. From here, we move to the Chicago World's Fair of 1893 and his infamous murder castle. Jeff, how did Holmes come to build the murder castle? He had some money. He was making money defrauding life insurance companies, substituting corpses, using the teeth to prove IDs. I mean, that's how good he got at that. And then manipulating the people he was working with to to sign him up as their beneficiary on these policies, them thinking it was all part of a fraud they were going to be part of instead of being murdered in. I think that that World's Fair thing with millions coming to Chicago in the 1890s and his ability to put a little pharmacy slash hotel with his living quarters upstairs and his infamous basement down below the Frankenstein room, uh, his ability to put that right next to the subway train that was going that was two miles away from the World's Fair with all these people fascinated to see this beautiful thing, the World's Fair, the first Ferris wheel, all these things. I mean, you had Einstein, you had a lot of incredible names there uh, attending. And uh, Holmes could walk down the street to this thing, or he could be at the hotel uh, welcoming visitors to his, to his place, his infamous place. And that's Probably, I'd say he was probably, that's, uh, that was on his bucket list, I would imagine. And I think he made the most of it, to, to, sadly enough. 
So he had this huge draw with the World's Fair, plenty of potential victims. Before the murder castle, Holmes seemed to be killing mostly for profit. But the murder castle takes things to a whole other level. Yeah, right. Killing for money is one thing. It's awful, but the motive is clear. With the murder castle, this feels more like killing for sport. Mm, right. And do you think Holmes was completely detached from any human connection, or was he just that sinister? You know, I'm not a psychiatrist. You're, when you're dealing with Holmes and the psychiatrist I've dealt with about him, um, they, they all run into uh, stop signs with him, problems. None want to believe that a human being could murder that wasn't psychotic. And I'm, I, after having studied him so long and, and, and reading his book, the, the brilliancy exhibited, you know, setting his lawyers down and conducting his own defense at the murder trial, things like that. The, the, the frauds, the cons he committed on government. I think he was just pure evil. And I think, you know, maybe that's why I've stuck with the story so long, because I think there's something to that that we all should maybe pay closer attention to, that it doesn't have to be a psychotic Charles Manson to be this type of evil criminal. This man, that's way, the way he was born. Um, he talks about it at, at the end. He talks about it. And and how he there were times when he wish, wished he wasn't, but that's what he, uh, that's what he was. Eventually, H.H. H. Holmes gets caught. While briefly in jail in St. Louis, he runs his mouth about some of the crimes he'd committed. It was his downfall. He liked to talk. His cellmate ratted him out in exchange for his freedom, and it worked. He said Holmes was planning to build another murder castle in Texas, and he had other insurance scams planned, and pretty soon... The noose starts to tighten. At times, Holmes had a lot of money. Other times, he was broke and would need to run his murderous scam again. After his arrest in Boston and trial in Philadelphia, it was clear to Holmes that he was going to hang for his crimes. The law had finally caught up with him. That's when Holmes started writing his memoir where he confessed to many other murders. But how many was it actually? In his book, he wrote about 27 which was was proven incorrect because many of those were still living um, when the experts went and ran it down. I think, you know, the, the, when I get into um, go to conferences, true crime conferences, things like that, many of the experts want to get up and argue whether it was nine, whether it was 13. I, I have no idea. All I can tell you is he was the best there ever was at hiding evidence of murder and then eliminating the remains, either with furnaces, chemicals, crematoriums, you know, Lake Superior, any of those things, concrete. He was the best there ever was at that. So when you get into trying to prove how many he murdered, you're, it, you're never going to get to anywhere with that. So we never may know the exact number. Officially, H.H. H. Holmes was hanged May 7th, 1896 at Moya Mansing Prison in Philadelphia and then buried in a Catholic cemetery. But that may not be the end of the story. Jeff Mudgett's family has stories and lore about how H.H. Holmes was not executed. It was someone else in that grave. They claimed they even had pictures of Holmes taken in California after he was allegedly hanged. So to find out if it is Holmes in that grave in Philadelphia, they'd need to dig him up and test the DNA. We got uh, the judge back at the, the Court of Common Pleas in Philadelphia to agree. If the Catholic Church agreed, 
who we got to agree. So, I mean, it was a quite an extensive procedure and um, history decided, okay, okay, we're going to, we're going to pay for this exhumation. We're going to dig it up. We're going to hire some of the greatest archaeologists and anthropological anthropologists at the university of Pennsylvania, world famous scientists to supervise this dig. And we're going to put it on film. And, you know, we did. And um, and we and uh, because I had told them, listen, there are that family legend is of him living out his life in California, having escaped the execution. The judge ordered them to identify the body as Holmes or either or he was going to order me to mark the grave as, you know, uh, unidentifiable or some, you know, some innocent human being having been substituted there by the serial killer. As you can imagine, exhuming the grave was uh, part of my bucket list for this whole story. And uh, we got to do it. And uh, then watching the scientists taking DNA from my father and I and then trying to compare it with the body, the remains, uh, taking CT scans, trying to uh, match the teeth with what we knew his might have been his teeth when he was living. It was it was it was uh, something I'll never forget and a great a great uh, experience. And what did you find? We've proven that as we exhumed the remains from that grave, the DNA did not match my father's and mine. CT scans did not show the broken neck that the man was reported to have suffered hanging by the end, you know, by the neck by a rope and two doctors specifying he had a broken neck, which caused the death. And now that the teeth that the UPenn scientists used to say this was H.H. Holmes were fake. So I'm, as you can imagine, I'm very excited right now. About, I'm going to go back to Philadelphia. I'm going to explain to the court that allowed that gave the order for the exhumation, and the Catholic Church, who were required to consent to the entire procedure because this was a Catholic cemetery, that this evidence that says that it was Holmes was not just possibly incorrect, absolutely incorrect. So the mystery deepens. Maybe H.H. Holmes was never executed. Maybe he got away. If he did that, how did he pull this off? But now we find out there were two burials. We find out there were multiple grave sites. Holmes bought three of them awaiting execution. There were two coffins, one bodiless, and the other that concrete sarcophagus that history writes over and over about, you know, all the authors you pick up about H.H. Holmes. And this, this, those, those inconsistencies and discrepancies in the story, which have always gone down as this killer, this terrible evil man was afraid of grave robbers touching his remains and he wanted to make this a secret. Okay, all right. I never could quite dig into that. But now we're starting to see this was his way to hide another body. This was his way to hide him having escaped. This was his way of getting a blank check to go west and live out his life in California, where his first wife moved from New England immediately after. 
where he knew that if that body was ever identified as not him, there would have been the biggest manhunt in American history. There would have been a reward, unbelievable, dead or alive. And he knew that. He knew all those things. Now, I can't prove what he was thinking. I can't prove his intents. I can't prove those things. But now I have the evidence proving it wasn't his body. If H.H. Holmes escaped the gallows and started a new life with his first wife, you know, Jeff Mudgett's great-great-grandmother, Clara, out in California, did he lay low the rest of his days, or did he continue his murderous work? Yeah, I mean, that's something we may never know. And it's easy to imagine that back in 1896, the public was eager to know H.H. Holmes was dead and no longer a threat. So if mistakes were made, it's possible police would have been eager to keep it quiet and hope Holmes stayed off the radar the rest of his days. This is dark and evil stuff. Yeah. I can't imagine having no regard for human life like that. America's first serial killer born right here in this small town in New Hampshire. You don't think of a peaceful town like this as the birthplace of someone who's so evil. But like we said earlier, everyone starts somewhere. We'll give Jeff Mudgett the last word on this, or rather we'll allow Jeff to share some of the last words of H.H. Holmes, who said... I was born with the devil in me. He has been with me ever since. And that brings us to After the Legend, where we take a closer look at this week's story and sometimes veer off course. Sometimes. After the Legend is brought to you by our Patreon patrons. Our patrons know great content isn't free. They step up and help us with our hosting, production, marketing, and travel costs so we can bring you two stories each week. Plus, they get early ad-free episode and bonus episodes and content that no one else gets to hear. It's just three bucks per month. We sure would appreciate your help. Just head over to patreon.com slash New England Legends to sign up. And to see some pictures of H.H. Holmes' birth house in Gilmanton, plus other pictures related to Holmes, click on the link on our episode description or head to our website and click on episode 317, where we'll also have links to our guest, Jeff Mudgett, his book, Bloodstains, and his history channel show, American Ripper. That's something. Yeah. I should look into my past and see if there's anyone famous that I can write about and do shows about. I mean, not that this guy got, I, you, you got can't say lucky. he got lucky. No. You can't really say that. No. Um, but I love the fact that he did take an interest. Other people would say, I'm not touching that. I, I can't claim that I, I'm blood related to this guy. No question. Jeff Mudgett took it head on. Uh, I've known Jeff uh, over 10 years. Yeah. And, um, uh, we had him on an episode of Ghost Adventures, and um, the first time I met him was at an event. Sweet guy, such a sweet guy, you know, um, and, and so articulate. He's a lawyer. He's a good speaker, of yeah. course, but uh, talked about this story, you know, and, and his great-great-grandfather. And we were at the bar hanging out, having a drink, and it was just me and him sort of chatting, you know, in a, in a crowd, but it was just, yeah. I, I just said to him, I said at one point, I just said, hey, does it ever bother you that, you know, the, the blood of H.H. H. Holmes flows through your veins? And he just got real serious and looked at me and just said, sometimes it really does. And I was like, oh. You told me that story before. I was now that I, so I've heard nervous. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's crazy, uh, though, right? I mean, anybody. I mean, because any, anyone has descendants who have done things, yeah. and some have done good things, and some have done bad things. Jeff would go on to tell me that uh, him and his dad have talked about, like, you know, sometimes they just feel a little different. But how do they know any other way, right? right? But right. they're just like, you know, you you... You know, sometimes if you lose your temper, you just keep in mind, like, who your ancestor is, and you're like, yeah, deep breath, you know? Yeah, um, and if you're marrying somebody like Jeff, you have to keep in mind who 
<laughs> their you know <laughs> right. great 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 grandfather is, and maybe not argue so much. There's also uh, people that will argue that Holmes was not a serial killer, um, which I understand. Still a prolific murderer, no yeah. question. So a serial killer has an MO. They seek out certain types of victims mm. and kill them over and over, and there's no real connection. Killing for money for an insurance scam Different. is not a serial killer. Serial killers don't kill for money. Yeah. What did I, I just saw something about serial killers. It's they kill multiple people in different locations. That's another description of a serial killer. They're trying but, to be smart about it. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a motive with that and money and money is a good motive. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's a, um, Oh God, I should have looked it up. The story we did, it was a ghost adventures episode. There was a woman who had a boarding house in Northern California and she would seek out people that were getting government checks, disability or whatever, uh, didn't have really any family connections and say, hey, I've got really inexpensive rent. You should come stay at my boarding house. Mm. And they would. And they'd move in. And as soon as those Never leave. government checks started yeah. coming, she'd kill them, bury them in the yard right out back. Oh, my gosh. Right behind the house. Yeah. Uh, and then the checks would keep coming. She'd sign them over to herself, rent the room out again. Wow. And so is she a psychopath or is she just, I mean, to some degree, sure, no regard yeah. for human life. However, or is it just opportunistic uh, killing for money and, and obviously no regard for the person. Well, it's one way to make a living, I think. <laughs> right. right. Like a sucker. We're the, just working. The rent wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you can, well, what if I could get six rents out of that room, right? <laughs> right. You know, just keep renting it to another person. You see this story with nurses a lot too, because yeah. they have access or, or somebody that works in a senior living facility. Yeah. They have access to older people and maybe they mess with their medication a little bit after they get, a document signed saying all my right. stuff's going to go to you because you've been so good to me. Oh, okay. Well I have three of these things and I'll scary. tell you, it's super scary. But again, like you said, you have to wonder if these people are just murderous psychopaths or if they desperately need the money. I, I mean, we've all been broke, Yeah, but it never occurred to me to murder people for, for money. Right. No, I, I mean, the, I think the furthest I've gone is, uh, considering selling my body. Maybe. That's <laughs> That's about it. Not murdering anyone, though. Yeah, I'll take a kidney. <laughs> maybe hiding someone for a couple days, maybe. Right, I don't right. Know. A kidnapping, sure, but, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll treat you well, let you watch cable. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You'd yeah. have full access to everything, except yeah, yeah. a phone. Oh, obviously. obviously. Can't make it weird, but yeah. uh, um, no, no, I get it. I get it. And then, but then the, the murder hotel or murder castle was a whole other thing. Because those people probably didn't have a whole lot of money. They were looking for a cheap place to stay while they went and saw the Chicago World's Fair. Yeah. So probably had some money, but nothing, not like overflowing suitcases full of cash. Right, right. Killing them could not have been that profitable and was risky. I bet you it was fun because the way he built it, it was right. like a little fun house of doors and... You can see the plans on, yeah. online. They, there's The newspaper articles like would show some of the trap doors and things. Um, American Horror Story. Yeah. Based there, I think it was called Hotel. Yeah. That season. Yep. That was based on that. Right. Yeah. No, his, this story is, uh, he's inspired a lot of horror um, <laughs> over the years, for yeah. sure. Um, even a Doctor Who episode where... Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I was watching it recently. It was one of the David Tennant years where um, the, the, the bad guy had built a hospital mm. and he just loved killing people. So his hospital, super rich guy, like how does a guy that famous and rich hide? Mm. He built a hospital with secret doorways so he could go do his thing and then slip out and wow. unnoticed. So, and I was, and I was just like, Oh wait, like H.H. H. Holmes. Um, but, uh, but anyway, but yeah, no, it's, it's, um, so, so Jeff, really interesting, Jeff Mudgett, really interesting guy. Yeah. Uh, his books really fascinating. And I was, this is a story I've wanted to do forever, 
uh, and and have Jeff involved because my goodness, we can't do better than that, right? Yeah. Um, well, so. you pulled it off. Nice well, job, Jeff. <laughs> well, it was good to have him with us. And now, how do you feel after doing it? Is uh, it like oh, because you know you get that 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 uh, anticipation, right? And uh, the thrill of the chance to do it, right? And now it's done. I, I, okay. I haven't given it that Is there much. Part thought. two. Well, we're still recording the episode right this second. Wow. So it's not really mind done. blown. Yeah. We're still in real time right now, Ray. We're in a time lo- uh, loop, We're in time warp. Total real time. And okay. and I think, too, because so few, because there's still so many unanswered questions with H.H. Holmes, uh, that his legend just continues to grow. Yeah. That, you know, if we knew everything, then that would be that. But Another 100 years, it's going to be 400 people last, instead of two. Last question. Yeah. Could someone pull this off today? Um, I think so. Yeah. Somebody's smart enough. I mean, it's it's hard with cameras and technology, right. and um, you know, obviously, uh, the police are up to par with the latest. Yeah. Um, but I, I think somebody could, and I think it does happen. Right. People disappear. Yeah, and we don't know why or how. Right, and there could be somebody behind that. So, and there's still active serial killers. Sure, in the, in the world, that's for sure. Um, Not as many as twenty, thirty years ago, yeah. probably because of technology. But um, there's still active serial killers out there. Sweet dreams, everybody. Well, if you've got a weird story of ghosts, monsters, roadside oddities, true crime, aliens, or just the plain weird that you think we should check out, reach out to us anytime through our website. We love hearing from you. And we love when you tell others about the show. We do. It's how we grow our community. Thank you so much to Jeff Mudgett for joining us on our adventure this week. Indeed. Thanks to our sponsors. Thank you to our Patreon patrons. And our theme music is by John Judd. Until next time, remember, the bizarre is closer than you think. <laughs>